today on Foodstuffs. Jess talks to a man who basically wasn't able to swallow for nine months straight. Not even a sip of water. Then Brian learns how it looks like cannabis will be blending with juicing culture in the years to come. I would take the medication, then I would wait about half an hour till it kicked in, and then I had about 45 minutes where I could kind of... Race against the clock. Yeah, race against the clock. It's certainly medicinal, but a lot of people are starting to look at cannabis and cannabinoids as a nutraceutical, so a foodstuff. You're listening to Foodstuffs! Brian, I posted a CBC article last week on Twitter. Did you pay close attention? Yes, I saw that. You did? It was bad news for me. (laughs) Well, yes, for anyone who doesn't happen to be following every tweet from Foodstuff's Life, um, we posted an article called Weight Controlled by What We Put in Our Mouth, Not Exercise, where um, they set up some bikes, let these people work out for half an hour to an hour, and then kind of ask them, what are you going to eat now? Now that you've worked worked out so hard, what do you deserve to eat? And um, again and again, people are overestimating how, much, how many calories they burned. And I'm going to go have a whole pizza now. <laughs> One whole pizza, please. Yes. I worked out for 30 minutes and burned 300 calories. Oh, God. Of course. Right now, they're comparing it to pumpkin spice lattes, but a pumpkin slice right. la- a spice latte is 330 calories, guys. So you can't even enjoy. And that's interesting because I remember realizing that drinks matter when you're, right. when you're thinking about how many calories you're ingesting. And as someone who adores juice, grapefruit juice in particular, in case you were curious, um, Realizing that that is the same as drinking pop is a sad day. That's a really sad day when you realize that you're like, I'm an adult now. I know that I can just (laughs) drink whatever I want. And we're actually talking about juice a a lot today, though, not your, well, your sugary juices. No. Your more health-providing juices. Yes. To be more specific, it's smoothie culture with the first um, interview that we have here with my friend Greg. Greg had a very rare disease. Do you want to tell us about it? I'm going to let him describe what that experience was like for him. Um, But suffice it to say, his body was holding him back from doing one of the most basic, vital, everyday things that we talk about at length here most of the time. What, eating? Yeah. Okay, yeah, we talk about that a lot. We kind of only talk about that (laughs) in one way or another. Okay, well, if you're not going to shed any more light on it, maybe it's time for Greg to take over. So here's Jess speaking with her friend, Greg Milo. (laughs) The last year of my life has been a roller coaster. I started off the year in perfect health, and then I gradually became ill with a rare swallowing disease. And halfway through the year, it was so bad I couldn't, eat or even have a sip of water. Right. What is the name of this disease? So the disease is called achalasia. Yes. And it's a rare swallowing disease. It affects the lower esophageal sphincter. So that's the muscle right before your stomach. What happened is the, the nerve endings connect to your brain and your brain, when you're swallowing, tells it to open. So that communication has something happened there and it's actually so rare that they they don't know what causes it they think there it might be a post-viral thing but there's not enough people who have it to be sure 
when did you first have trouble swallowing? Like, what was that sensation that so made this, you realize there was a problem going on? So the sensation when I first realized I had a problem, I thought I had like acid reflux because I'd be drinking and eating, and then I, about like ten minutes later, I'd start. I'd be like doing my thing, and all of a sudden, I'd feel like can like stuff coming up basically mm-hmm. but it didn't wasn't didn't feel like I wanted to puke it just felt like it was in my chest like chest pain mm-hmm. so when I went to the doctors they said that it sounded like acid reflux and you know millions of people have it and that's just sucks for me but it's not a big deal like a, a chronic thing but yeah it's over-the-counter medication and exactly good I didn't, I, I didn't know what it was, so I obviously just thought the doctors, I just, whatever they thought it was, right. I trusted, and it kind of got worse and worse, and it got to the point where I'd, like, take a sip of water, and then it would just come right back up, and then it wasn't until I, I was working, I was away for work. I couldn't eat or drink anything. Like, nothing was going down for two days. Right. I started telling people I was feeling sick, and I was visibly looking really ill. And then uh, my boss said, you know, you know, go to the emergency room. You, There's something wrong with you. Yeah. So when I went to the emergency room, that's when we realized it was more than just acid reflux. And um, it could have been... They thought maybe it was a cancer, an esophageal cancer, but they found undigested food in my throat and said, okay, well, there's, you have some kind of motility issue, meaning like Mm. somewhere along as your, it gets to your stomach, there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. They, they kind of isolated where the issue was at that point. And then the final test was a barium swallow where you swallow, uh, yeah, you swallow this like chalky substance and again they watch it through an x-ray and the doctor performing that test he had seen my condition before and as soon as I took one sip he's like it's achalasia it's a really rare condition I see I see it maybe once or twice a year That's you crazy. have it and it's treatable and uh, we're you know we'll give you all the information on like what you have to do now crazy so there was like some relief in that versus yeah so yeah it's crazy when you like obviously when you think it's cancer it's it's pretty scary Mm -hmm. and then when you don't know what it is it's just like do I have to try and live the rest of my life like this Mm -hmm. and how am I going to do that yeah it's pretty scary but then once you know what it is then you can start doing your research and doing your homework and and figuring out how it's treated and where it's treated and the success rate. So it started to become more positive at that point. This was in January? Yeah, January was when I, st- I thought I had acid reflux. And then March was when I was hospitalized for about 10 days or Crazy. so. Crazy. Um, so once that happened, I mean, we have a good news story here. You're able to swallow again at this point. So what has happened between March and we're now at the very beginning of November? There was a new surgery to treat my condition, but it was just coming to Canada at that point. So in order to do that, they gave me 
angina medication, which is like heart medication. And it, what it did is like lowered my heart rate and made that muscle like loosened it. Relaxed. For, yeah, like relaxed it f- to a point where I could have liquids, but it would only, I would take the medication and then I would wait about half an hour till it kicked in and then I had about 45 minutes where I could kind of race against the clock yeah race against the clock and try and get as as much nutrients and and water as I could and then I wouldn't eat anything else until the next time I took the pills so and I could only take the pills three times a day how was that so that was (laughs) that was uh at first it was awful and then I bought a Vitamix blender and started learning about getting nutrients in smoothie form and as a li- like a very thin liquid kind of smoothie. Mm-hmm. So I started just doing my homework and experimenting and figuring out how I can get nutrients in liquid form. And I started to actually enjoy a lot of the, the things I could drink, like, you know, putting spinach in a with almond milk with some cocoa powder it makes like this like kind of weird frappuccino-y type <laughs> thing and yeah so I st- I actually started eating like on paper it looked like I was eating pretty well I wasn't snacking I wasn't eating before I go to bed which are two of my favorite things and <laughs> like I so I lost a ton of weight I lost probably close to 35 pounds which you the, didn't have to lose I always you know I'm a pretty thin <laughs> guy to begin with so I think like 10 of those pounds were like you know a craft dinner before bed and chocolate <laughs> like I could I, I realized like yeah 10 of those pounds were probably like fine. bad habits yeah yeah and fine but the other 25 were like yeah I needed that I felt pretty weak yeah for most of that time can you you describe this new surgery and you've also referred to the fact that you were able to eat almost instantly after how how yeah so they the new surgery they they go down your throat to perform they like cut the muscle basically but they do it down your throat so they don't open you up or anything so your recovery time is really really quick so the next day after my surgery, they just, they got me to drink something to make sure that they did the surgery properly. And when it went down fine, they said, okay, go home and just relax, stick to liquids for a few days and then start trying to eat like softer foods. And I was like, all right, cool. So I went home and it was like, the first thing I had was a coffee and it was amazing. (laughs) And then I started having like my usual smoothies and soups, but the difference was I didn't have to take medication and I didn't have to wait. I could just have it whenever I wanted. So I was like, it was amazing. Mm -hmm. And then the first meal, actual solid food I ate, I made gnocchi which is like an Italian potato-y pasta thing. Super soft, pillowy Yeah, it's like pasta. super soft. And it was something that growing up, I was allowed to choose what I wanted to eat on my birthday, and I would always choose gnocchi. Oh, that's so it was lovely. like, uh, it was one of those things, like I can choose to eat something, I choose that. Can you, yeah, was it emotional? It was like, 
yeah it was kind of, it was emotional but it was you know, also kind of a weird thing because when I could eat it it was sort of like my mind went to like a place where I just thought oh my god all that and I'm like for this like I went through all that crazy stuff and here I am now eating and I'm back to normal and I was happy so grateful and happy that I was able to return back to normal like I you know there was one point where I didn't think uh, you know I was gonna ever be the same if if I was even able to live mm. and so yeah so it's definitely uh it was a mix of a lot of emotions mm -hmm. and then a lot of relief for my family and my friends especially what are your takeaways from this crazy nine so, months okay my takeaways are definitely um you know your health is obviously the most important thing and we all know that but until something happens to your health or to someone close to you's health you don't realize how your life actually stops when there's something wrong with you and nothing else matters all those little trivial things that you thought would keep you up at night they, they actually they don't actually matter mm -hmm. so that was the first takeaway the second takeaway is like liquid diets are awesome like <laughs> i still i'm i drink probably three types of smoothies a day you can pack them full of stuff they're tasty they're easy to make tons of nutrients in them they're filling it's like instead of going for a bag of chips or like chocolate or or something i have a i have a smoothie and i feel great mm -hmm. and then my last takeaway is like you, we actually don't need to eat that much <laughs> like we don't you don't need to eat a pizza before you go to bed like yeah you can do it but we eat a lot and we really don't need to eat maybe as much as we do final question there's no chance that you can relapse this is no it's so i i actually still have the disease but the surgery they did just like cut that muscle that wasn't working so I still, that muscle still doesn't work, but it's open enough that it lets food down. Well, thank you very yeah. much, Greg. I appreciate it. I'm glad you're able to swallow things. We're drinking a beer. Yeah, it's great. Cheers. Cheers. So that was Greg Milo describing his experience with achalasia, a rare swallowing disease. That was pretty heavy. I know. I'm yeah. just thankful to be speaking to him after yeah, the, no the resolution. Yeah. Well, that really hit home for me, too, because as uh, you know, my my dad was ill this summer. He's getting better now. And mm -hmm. there was a period of time where he couldn't swallow. Mm -hmm. He couldn't eat anything. And, and he had to slowly introduce liquids. And it what really hit was when Greg talked about coffee, because that was the thing my dad was always mm -hmm. asking for. For sure. It's uh, it's just that coffee is such a basic everyday thing for so many people. It's how you start the day. It's how you punctuate time, whatever. And just, it's not even vital, like mm -hmm. eating well, and some sustenance. Well, some would say it is. <laughs> but it was interesting to see how Greg adjusted 
his lifestyle and started eating things that he hadn't before yeah. and really fell in love with them, mostly exactly. smoothies and soups. We didn't talk a lot about smooth uh, soups there, but that was a big part of his diet For too. For sure. I actually showed up at his place and he was drinking a smoothie. So now <laughs> that he doesn't even need to be drinking them anymore, he still, he, he's locked in and yeah. it makes sense to me. But suffice it to say, um, yeah, Greg is back and, and able to do all the normal things. Can you imagine going out for dinner and trying to time, taking a pill that will work in 30 minutes and then hoping against hope that you don't get your food too early or, God forbid, too late? Um, right, yeah. Because otherwise it's going to be sitting in front of you getting cold or you're going to have to scarf it down extra, extra quick and have this race against the clock. It just sounds so complicated. And and that's if he could even muster the energy to get out of the house. Right. So, even at home. But I'm even thinking about the water and stuff like that. That's Everybody the other talks thing. Now, you got to stay hydrated. You have to stay hydrated. Exactly. How do you stay hydrated when you have like a three 45-minute windows to drink and eat everything, everything you that you need? Exactly. Um, so... We're very happy to know that Greg is feeling better. And I'm just glad that we had that conversation after the fact uh, of knowing that everything was going to work out okay. Because I just, I couldn't imagine. Okay, now we're going to listen to our very first phone interview, which is exciting. So who did you make our very first phone interview, Brian? Okay, yeah, I, actually I spoke to Dieter McPherson from Cannabis Digest. A, a couple months ago I saw an article uh, come out of the States about one of the byproducts of legalizing marijuana. So are we getting into weed culture on foodstuffs? Are we uh, 420 proponents now? Is I that wouldn't, what's happening? I wouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, there's a lot of innovation that's come out of legalization in a few of those states. And one of the things is looking at cannabis as a foodstuff, as looking at as a, an ingredient that the health and restaurant community industry, yeah. industry can can use now. Right. Um, the article that you showed me was all about juice and cannabis. So why is that different than, let's say, the stereotypical buzz cakes or space cakes or whatever you call them um, that you would find in an Amsterdam-style coffee shop that people are probably m sure, more yeah. familiar with? Well, I mean, the biggest difference is that these are all, well, we're talking about non-psychoactive cannabis. So in other words, marijuana that doesn't get you high mm. or that isn't the purpose of it the purpose is really about the health benefits that come from it okay we're talking about people who have ailments like arthritis uh, seizures things like that where juice and cannabis can actually be quite effective for them um, we're also talking about again the food industry looking at this plant as a new ingredient to be using for Again, for health reasons, the w way that you would use ginger or some other ingredient mm -hmm. like that, right? Turmeric. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay, so let's get to our very first phone interview. This is Brian speaking with Dieter McPherson from Cannabis Digest based in Victoria, British Columbia. Uh, well, uh, juicing cannabis is pretty new. Um, the idea is, is that you take the raw cannabis plant uh, and you, you juice it. Um, so they take the leaves and the, what's called the inflorescence or, or the bud of the plant, and before drying or curing, um, they uh, blend it or put it through a juicer and, and extract the liquid that comes out of it. Um, the idea behind that is that uh, there are these things in the, in the cannabis plant called cannabinoids. Um, so the most famous of them would be THC. That's the one everybody knows, the one that gets you high. Um, but there's a whole bunch of other ones as well that have all sorts of uh, interesting benefits and effects. Um, but each one of those cannabinoids has two forms, and one is called the acidic form, 
uh, and that's the form that exists naturally in the plant. And then there's another form that's been uh, decarboxylized, um, and that's what happens when you either cure the plant over a long period of time or you burn it. Um, so what you're getting access to is a, is a version of those cannabinoids that haven't been converted, and they actually they're non-psychoactive. Um, so there's a there's a lot of benefits to having them. Um, you know, chief among those is you're not getting high. Okay, so and this is a, sort of a bit of a foreign concept to some people thinking. Wait, the benefit of this cannabis is not getting high. So mm-hmm. is this is a medicinal thing? Sure. Yeah, the, it's it's certainly medicinal. But a lot of people are starting to look at cannabis and cannabinoids as a nutraceutical, so a, a food stuff. Um, so for the time being, in most countries, yes, it, it's purely medical. But um, what we're seeing is a shift to the, the food industry getting involved. So that's hemp-based foods and high CBD foods are certainly on the horizon. But yeah, because it's, it's non-psychoactive, there, there's a whole bunch of benefits. It means you can take it throughout the day without worrying about, uh, quote-unquote, ruining your golf game. Right. Sure. But like you say, it's so we're reaching beyond even the medicinal community into more just a general health community? Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, juicing has been, um, you know, a big part of dietary uh, regimes for the last decade, Um, and this certainly fits within that. Now, of course, cannabis is still illegal federally in the United States, and it's still illegal federally in Canada, though we have a government that uh, obviously says that they're going to be legalizing it. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what knock-on benefits uh, come from the the food and nutraceutical industries when they can provide this type of product. Okay, and you mentioned the new government, and I want to get to that in a a second. Um, But I just want to jump back just a little bit. We're talking about it being a non-psychoactive. I feel like this is uh, perhaps a part of the cannabis culture that is growing um, that people are starting to hear more and more about, which is the group that is sort of the non-psychoactive parts of, of cannabis. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I, I guess the one most people would have, will have heard of is called CBD. So that's another one of those cannabinoids. And, and both forms, the acidic and the non-acidic form, are, are non-psychoactive. Um, so, you know, uh, Sanjay Gupta's series on CNN Weeds focused heavily on that, both of them. Um, Charlotte Fiji or Fiji uh, in Colorado is one of those uh, patients that everybody knows about. That, right, I think a lot of people um, heard she, of this. This this yep. was the young girl in was it Colorado? Yes, that was having seizures, and the the strain Charlotte's Web is a a strain that's high in in the CBD that doesn't include THC, and or was very it, a, it. Or very low? And she was taking what would would that been an, an oil? She was taking an extract or an oil, correct? Yeah, because right. that, that's that's the current best practice for concentrating those cannabinoids. Um, so the non-psychoactive forms are, have certainly seen an uptick. Um, you know, THC was bred into the plant over generations because people were growing it purely for the recreational uh, effects, so the high. And what we're seeing is a bit of renaissance in in, in uh, CBD strains and CBD products. So it, it's certainly a massive growth market where we're you know. Here in Canada, the, the bulk of medical users or new medical users are over the age of 55. Um, they've, you know, worked uh, their entire life, and they have a lot of those uh, bumps and aches and sprains that just come with, you know, a, a life of working. And, and they're not looking to get high. They're looking to manage symptoms like chronic pain, arthritis, things of that nature. Right. Um, and, and they want to take it to, to alleviate those symptoms. They're, they're not looking to take something like oxycodone or uh, other uh, opiates, because those those come with negative side effects. One and two, they they affect your golf game as well. Yeah. Um, so it, it's been a, a massive change in the industry. Yeah. 
in Canada, we have um, a medicinal program that's just been changed in the last couple of years. But these extracts, the juice, these are outside of uh, what is uh, sort of included in that that allowance there from the from the government. Can you talk Correct. about where that comes from, where the government's positions come from? Well, that's mostly the previous conservative government. So that new program that you're talking about is called the MMPR. Um, the previous program was called the MMAR. The MMAR was the one that allowed for um, personal production and designated production, so you could designate someone else to produce you. It was fairly decentralized, and it wasn't commercial. The new MMPR program was the one that was brought in under the conservative governments, which um, phased out the MMAR or attempted to and created a large-scale commercial sector that was highly regulated. Um, so the, the important thing to note is that the medical cannabis programs, plural in Canada, have all been brought about by court challenges. Um, there was never a point where the government proactively decided to uh, instate these changes. So the first one was patients' right to have access. Um, so that was enshrined under the charter that patients need access. Um, but the conservative government uh, only did just enough to comply with those court rulings. And derivatives and uh, extracts were not part of those original rulings. Um, what happened was is, is uh, our dispensary, the Victoria Cannabis Bars Club, our bakery was raided, uh, I guess, six years ago now, and there was charges pressed against Owen Smith, our head baker at the time. Um, so we took that court case and went all the way up to the Supreme Court of Canada, and then this year just got a positive ruling. Uh, it was a unanimous ruling from the Supreme Court that patients should have access to all forms of derivatives, not just the dry bud form, the smoked form. Um, so we're waiting for Health Canada to implement their own set of rules. They've, they've uh, started licensing these LPs under the MMAR to, or MMPR to produce uh, And LPs being licensed providers? Producers. Licensed yeah, producers, the large right? commercial scale one. Um, but even then, they've only been licensed to produce very low strength uh, capsules and oils. Um, and they're not allowed to sell things like juice cannabis. So um, it's, a, it's a matter of time. We just have to wait and see if this new government will uh, open the gates to allow patients to access some of those other forms. And have you had any indication of where this government stance is in terms of these other derivatives? Um, no, not yet. They, they, they're, they're still unsure how long it's going to take and how they're going to do it. Um, you know, the question is, is this going to be a, a purely federal program or is it going to be a federal-provincial split? much like it is with alcohol and tobacco, right. uh, we, we don't know. If they listen to patients uh, and patient testimony, then um, it'd be pretty hard for them to ignore the benefits of juice, cannabis, and other derivatives like uh, edibles or suppository. And you're saying if, as in they may not. Is Perhaps this is a part of um, the issue here is that there is, like how does this voice get to the powers that be to sort of, bring this message, like you say, if they hear it, how can they deny it? So how do we get that message to these powers? Well, um, ho hopefully the federal government will go through a series of uh, stakeholder meetings where they'll, they'll, they'll invite the public to comment. Other than that, it's continue doing what we're doing. It's making sure that patients are heard. There's some amazing stories out there. Um, have you ever heard of Liam? Um, Liam McKnight, he's a right, young yes. Canadian boy who suffers from Dravet syndrome. His story is very impactful that, um, you know, because of Owen's court case and the Supreme Court decision, um, his parents are no longer criminals for, for providing oils, non-smoke form. Um, so we continued on that road uh, and make sure that patients are heard. 
in the meantime now, like you say, this is an option that people are choosing, yet it's technically illegal. So if somebody wants to get their hands on uh, the raw plant to juice, how do they do it at this point? You, you can't. Um, there, there's, no, there's no legal way to do it. So there's those that have been granted an injunction under the previous program, the MMAR. So those are the ones with personal production licenses are designated. Uh, they can gain access to them, but even then it's very difficult because cannabis is a very fast-growing plant. Uh, it's got a fairly weak cellular structure, and it doesn't have a shelf life. Um, so really it has to be processed on site and then delivered in a juice form, frozen. Um, so until we see, see uh, a loosening of the laws and some sort of commercial production program for these types of extracts, it, it's going to be very hard for patients. But in places like Colorado and Washington, there are booming markets associated with restaurants, uh, B&Bs, hotels that just specialize in, in cannabis-based derivatives, cooking classes. It's pretty ama amazing to see the innovation that's happening south of the border. And like you said, sort of a, an alternative route for all those people that are suffering from a lot of issues that are currently taking a lot of opiates and narcotics, um, and we're seeing the dangerous effects of those. Um, certainly that that's sort of something to consider. Are you hopeful for the direction that we're, we're headed or is it too uncertain at this point to, to say? Oh, I'm definitely hopeful. You know, Canada uh, was a leader in the cannabis field for many decades uh, and we have a great opportunity uh, to legalize at a federal level and then work on uh, innovation of these products. So food development and medicine development, technology and science. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping uh, that this government sees that, the, the massive opportunity. It's a, new, it's a new commodity market. That's really the only way to look at it. Um, and with a, a, a loosening of the restrictions, and all sorts of interesting innovation can happen. Well, I really appreciate you talking to me, and I re really appreciate the work that you're doing over there at Cannabis Digest. So uh, good luck, and, and thank you for bringing this to our attention. No problem. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks, Dieter. That was Brian's phone conversation with Dieter McPherson of Cannabis Digest out of Victoria, B.C. It's really exciting that chronic pain sufferers will probably have another seemingly more natural option for treating their symptoms in the coming years. Yeah, hopefully. And one of the things we talked about was um, will the government, this new government, mm -hmm. make some changes to allow these um, derivatives and extracts to be part of a medical inclusion, or are we going to move right to legalization? So there's already been a little bit of movement on yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. In the last week, there's already been movement there. Um, in a public mandate letter, uh, Justin Trudeau wrote Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould, um, and where's the quote here? Ask them to create a federal, provincial, territorial process that will lead to the legalization and regulation of marijuana. That's the only statement in the letter, so it's obviously still quite vague. But it's um, it's definitely movement. It's definitely acknowledgement and it's affirmation that there he was serious about making change there. It'll be really interesting to see. And I again, I think this seems to be an ongoing theme for us. It's just like a new new information, new education has happened. We realize that there's a way for us to achieve the benefits of this thing that are actually more socially acceptable and better for our society in general. Um, and you would expect that the government, who is also looking out for healthcare, would want people to be smoking less and to be getting high less and be taking time right. to work less and all of these. But things. not only that, but not only looking at different ways of using uh, cannabis, but also looking at perhaps 
moving people away from dependence on narcotics and opiates where we've seen a lot of damaging effects in the health community. We've seen all kinds of um, addiction, addiction, leading to suicides, Mm -hmm. uh, accidental deaths, um, and just a strain on that health care system. And very interesting, and I'm really happy to have gotten the West Coast yeah, represented on, on Foodstuffs finally. Yay, so our first uh, hit in BC. Yeah, hopefully we'll be able to actually get out there in person, but for now, uh, it was good to speak to Dieter on the phone. So thanks Absolutely. very much to Dieter. Thank you, Dieter. And that's another episode of Foodstuffs. Thanks so much to Greg Milo for meeting with me at the end of his long workday to relive a pretty rough nine months of his life. And thanks, of course, to Dieter McPherson from Cannabis Digest for speaking to us about juicing cannabis. We love Eric Betlam, Sam Petit, and Ken Stauer for letting us use Studio 2 every week. Yeah, thanks, guys, and congrats on another terrific fundraiser. Congratulations! Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also look for us on Instagram and at Twitter at Foodstuffs Life. We're on Facebook. Just search for Foodstuffs. And then we also have a website, which is foodstuffs.life. I'm Brian Goldman. I'm Jessica Walker. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Start again. Over. Start over.